Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, brought to you by Vermeer, your trusted expert in hay and forage equipment. As we get farther into the year, at least in North America, the season starts to shift and we switch from producing hay to feeding hay. Today, I'm excited to invite Jordan and Reggie Schuler to the podcast. Jordan and Reggie come to us from Vermeer Corporation, but are previous owners and leaders of Schuler Manufacturing, a mixer and feed wagon company from Griswold, Iowa. Welcome, Jordan and Reggie. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. Reggie, let's start with you. Do you mind sharing a bit of your background on yourself and your experience with different way folks feed out their hay? In uh, 1965, my father, Dorland Schuler, started the company, left uh, farming, had a farm sale. Uh, he, on the farm, was always kind of creative and mechanical-minded. Uh, he wanted to change careers, basically, from farming. At that time, in 65, just in our family, everybody really worked in the business. Uh, Mom uh, was out in the shop, kind of as it was called then, uh, with Dad as they worked to uh, produce the first product, which was the forerunner to the BF, the better feeder wagons that we have now. That was the first kind of machine that he built was a feed wagon and some uh, neighbors saw it, and uh, they liked its looks and how it appeared and the uh, features that Dad had. And so they wanted to have him make one for them, and that's how it kind of got started. As years went on, uh, we diversified uh, from the feed wagons into mixers, uh, forage chopper boxes, manure spreaders, and a few other things. But uh, we also did contract manufacturing later in our years. But at the time that uh, Vermeer acquired us, uh, we pretty much concentrated on uh, feed wagons and feed mixers were the the Schuler products. Those other Schuler products, manure spreaders, forage boxes, they had disappeared from our from our lineup. So, what's your role today? My role today, with basically when the acquisition uh, was completed, when the sale was was made. I moved into kind of a retirement phase and available as a consultant uh, to Vermeer for whatever kinds of tasks they might want me to try to help on. And I'm certainly glad to do that. And so right now I act just in a consulting role uh, for them is, is what I do with Vermeer. Well, great. Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, I had the pleasure of working for Reggie uh, for about 11 and a half years uh, and came to work for the business after I finished my education and very thankful for that time that I had with him. And So Reggie would be my uncle and uh, learned an awful lot from him just about business in general, um, mixers, feed wagons, cattle in general. Um, he, was a, he was a great source for me and very thankful for that time that I was able to learn from him. Now, the transition that we've obviously made with this acquisition by Vermeer is, is very exciting and something that uh, had been talked about in theory, even by those of us within Shula Manufacturing ownership uh, before anything had ever happened. So this was something that we felt was divine, uh, for, for lack of a better term. And there was a lot of prayer put into this uh, last year, and there's just no doubt that this was the road that we were we were supposed to go down and the, the culture between 
Vermeer and, and Schuler manufacturing and, and the way that decisions are made um, is very similar, um, both faith-based uh, ownership and management. And um, so very comfortable uh, with the people uh, that are making decisions today and, and very grateful for the opportunity to work with them. Today, I'm working um, in a in a product uh, slash sales role um, for a majority of the time. Uh, there's a few other miscellaneous roles that uh, are taken uh, kind of as we transition from the Schuler manufacturing world that I'm still fulfilling, but uh, what's the old saying, the jack of all trades and master of none. Maybe that's me, but uh, nonetheless, I get to work with a lot of talented people and, and, and learning a lot from them um, about, about fo the, the forage world. That, that's not a world that I dove into very much um, just, just in dealing with just the mixers um, and the feed wagons. Uh, it was very much feeding focused. So, to learn, uh, you know, some of the pre-feeding uh, product and just the way that world works has been has been very educational for me. Widened my breadth of experience uh, very very quickly, so so that's been good. As we dig into today's podcast, we're going to talk about feeding out hay. Winter's not too far away, and it's important to take a good look at the most effective way to feed that hay. Can you take us through the thought process? on round bales rolled out on the ground versus a round bale in a feeder versus a feed wagon and then to a total mixed ration, a TMR. Yes, uh, John, in the stages of feeding and how it has, you might say, progressed over time, we have the most uh, lowest uh, labor type of approach to putting the hay out to the animals by perhaps rolling that hay out where they can get access to it. What happens in that is uh, there is probably the highest waste amount that occurs with the hay in that in that approach. Uh, animals that are stepping on the hay and um, granted, it's you know in the winter time the ground's uh, uh, hard and everything, but. Uh, in some areas of the country, it isn't the case. It's the wet season. And so there's uh, more waste, I believe, in that approach. And then going to the next level is where if we put it in a bale ring, it is confined and the animals can't, uh, they can't really get in to the bale ring. They can't stomp the hay ground, but down in the ground and into the mud, deteriorate is quality. So that is uh, an improvement over just rolling the hay out and letting uh, the animals walk all over it. But then further control and the usage of that hay then by processing it some way. And it's to the extent that you can then put it into a feed wagon and feed it through a feed wagon, then that further controls the hay. As Jordan had mentioned in a comment earlier about if it goes into a, a portable feed bunk that's out in a pasture or out in a field, uh, may go into tires or some other uh, sort of uh, feed bunk that 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 is controlling the ass the access of the hay and limiting the potential for waste. I mean, the economics of whatever business somebody is engaged in today, from the manufacturing processes of thirty years ago, other kinds of industries and farming practices. From 30 years ago, has just seen tremendous advancements in uh, technology and improvement 
of efficiency, profit margins in all the industries have gotten thinner, harder to come by. And so these are steps of not wasting sometimes a commodity that in the Midwest right now, hay bales, are they're high priced in the drought areas. And it's going to be that way this winter. Other times of the year, there's an abundance of hay. But in either case, right now, the economics are certainly you have to be careful with your hay. But why waste hay in other years when it's cheap? Why not try to be as efficient as possible and increase margins in the good years and yet still be able to achieve smaller margins in harder years? So it's kind of a it's a business, it's a real business practice of continuous improvement, uh, John, in whatever the operation is. In this case, we're talking about beef production. So, or the dairy industry would be uh, in the dairy industry, milk prices probably, uh, you know, have not changed uh, on average in the last decade versus compared to previous decades. So you don't get really a lot more uh, for your commodity, but you're, your expenses go up, your overhead costs goes up, so you've got to become more efficient. This is an important topic because we're talking about waste reduction, and we're talking about being efficient in the way that we deliver feed to animals, and then we're talking about the health of the animals. Jordan, take me through the different thought processes around ways to feed hay and other feedstuffs. Yeah, this is an interesting year to ask that question, John. Um, not because of everything that's happened worldwide in 2020, but specifically for us in the Midwest, there's been portions of the Midwest that have had pretty severe drought. And in a year like that, hay and forage is obviously something that gets pretty expensive. And uh, to waste that obviously is not ideal um, when it is, you know, a hundred plus dollars per round bale, uh, depending upon your crop. And if it's high quality stuff, it, it'll be much higher than that. So n- nobody nobody wants to waste that money, obviously. So that's that's number one that comes to most people's minds. There are probably many more options and variations and of ways to feed than, than what a lot of people would consider today. There are certain situations where sure, just that hay ring is probably justifiable, but there are a multitude of different orders or you know manipulations that can be come up with uh, with the amount of equipment today, uh, even just within the Vermeer product line with where you've got bale processors and now we've got feed wagons and mixers. Uh, there, there's a lot to consider it, it, just in those circumstances and just so many options. Uh, and, and one thing that, that seems to be coming to even the cow-calf type operators that, that maybe in the past weren't quite as progressive there's a lot of a lot of those guys that seem to be working with nutritionists anymore maybe taking on a little bit more of that mindset that dairymen have had for probably decades um, but just becoming a lot more educated and involved in in the details of of their feed processes and the byproducts that they're feeding and um, being able to utilize lower quality forages utilize less forage in general um, so those are just some really broad statements that I guess I would make around that subject. Reggie, can you take us through mixer wagons, feed wagons, maybe some of the other alternatives uh, to feeding out hay that maybe our listeners might not be familiar with? Yes, John. Uh, in feed mixers, I, I think probably most everybody 
that's listening to the audience uh, would understand what a mixer is. However, just in that regard, I think of the difference between a feed mixer, that machine, and the feed wagon machine. Feed mixers are typically, or most all the the concepts out there, you can load that machine with your feed ingredients, put all your feed ingredients in, and you can operate that machine with whatever type of mixing design concept that it has inside the machine. You can operate that machine for just a fixed time period that uh, through testing you found uh, is the length of time necessary to produce a accurate uh, mix, a thorough mix of feed. Sometimes your uh, nutritionist or uh, feed uh, salesman, your feed consultant, they may be able to do some feed samples and test to see just uh, how long that time is to get a good feed mix. Where a feed wagon, primarily then, uh, John, that is a machine that's loaded with your feed ingredients or you're going to feed out, but it doesn't have the ability to just go through a mixing phase. I mean, if it's being operated, it's unloading. Now, the shooter feed wagons, they do have in their unloading concept, uh, they do have if feedstuffs are uh, layered in, loaded carefully, maybe kind of sandwiched you might think of. When it does go through the unloading mechanism, the concept that's in the feedways, there is some blending, but it is not it's not a feed uh, feed mixer per se, but for some operations or at some levels of starting out, perhaps you know it may be adequate. Uh, you're a nutritionist or the feed uh, consultant, why it may be adequate for that stage of your operation. Also, sometimes we have people that would mix in their feed mixer, but because of the distance they have to travel, I mean, animals are getting uh, spread out, uh, seems like more and more miles apart here in the Midwest and, and others. So, or the terrain they have to go to, maybe it makes more sense to transfer that mixed feed ration into your feed wagon and go and deliver it out to the uh, cattle that way. Uh, feed mixers are, we know that feed mixers are trailer models told by the tractor, truck-mounted units, some cases stationary, and uh, feed wagons are tractor towed, but also, sometimes there are uh, truck-mounted units of those, too. So what we're getting into here is the idea of a, a total mixed ration, a, a TMR. That's a really common concept in dairy. How popular is it with beef operations, cow-calf operations, feedlots? The dairy kind of capitalized that term, but it's been popular. Yeah, It's been that practice in the feedlot industry, too, for a very, very long time. Now, it is spreading into kind of the concept maybe in the in the cow calf operations the growing operations if cattle are like confined in a pen john where they don't have access to grass to graze then obviously then they're trying to put all their feedstuffs basically through the feed mixer to have a total mixturation that's what i think of kind of when i hear that term a tmr how does a producer know what way to feed the hay that's best for them and their operation? So a lot of that, John's going to depend upon the size of the operation and, and maybe even more importantly, the, the type of operation. 
uh, there's certainly plenty of users uh, specifically that I think of in the Midwest and maybe getting out to some of the eastern portions of the United States. Think of users in the Midwest. There's plenty of those uh, cow-calf type operations, backgrounding operations that, that aren't necessarily in need of that TMR or total mixed ration. It certainly uh, is is an option for them, but but maybe the expense in that uh, in that mixer is is not necessarily needed. And those are the uh, circumstances where bale processor may be utilized if if they're only feeding hay. Um, certainly, that bale processor will at least break that that forage down, and, and that does make that more palatable uh, for those animals. But with the amount of byproducts, silage and other feedstuffs that, that, that users have access to today, um, that's when the mixer or feed wagon concept becomes very needed conversation if those other feedstuffs want to be utilized efficient, efficiently, especially on the feed wagons. Users have an opportunity to equip those, those pieces of equipment with a scale to understand uh, what exactly they are feeding. In my experiences, it seems that even if somebody had a feed wagon in the past and maybe they've upgraded now to a unit with a scale, there's few instances where those producers are underfeeding. More times than not, they are overfeeding their cattle and they are putting more feed, more forage out than what is needed. That's just wasted dollars. Uh, so whether it's a feed wagon or a mixer, that scale can be an extremely important piece of piece of the puzzle. And, and when we look at it from the big picture, it's such a low cost um, piece of equipment that, that's added to uh, the, the mixers or the feed wagons that it's it's just not difficult to justify that expense. Those are the tools and, and kind of ways for producers to, to manage that feed costs uh, by using you know, other feeds besides just that forage or hay. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. I'm Danny Wan and, and I switched to the Vermeer 604R because I believe this baler is built to last. I bail about 4,000 bales a year and I think as much money you give for a baler, they need to bail 4,000 bales a year, even if it's for 10 years, they, they need to get it done. The day I ran it, we absolutely had no issues at all. It fired up and I bailed like some guy. <laughs> it just bailed all day long. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. Jordan, you mentioned both mixers and feed wagons, where Edgy gave us a definition earlier. Uh, how does an operation know which one's best for them? Can you talk through the sizes and, and differences and horsepower requirements and 100 cows to support this? Is this 300 cows to support it? Is this a 10,000 head feedlot? Take us through that process. I think, John, we could probably find uh, users that are using some sort of a TMR mixer with with as few as 30 to 40 animals. Um, a lot of that's going to be dependent upon the producer, the, the user's uh, choice and how, how far do they want to take this, how progressive do they want to be. But there are things to consider. Just uh, one thing that uh, we see a lot of in the territories that Schuler Manufacturing in the past has sold a lot of the feed wagons specifically. Those are areas that, that have adverse ground conditions, uh, users that aren't necessarily feeding in a pen and, and bunk style uh, feeding setup, uh, you know, that we see commonly with feedlots. If they're feeding 
in tires or in wooden or mobile bunks out in, in areas of pasture during the winter, that's uh, difficult to take a, a very heavy piece of equipment across like a mixer. Uh, so just just this, the geography and, and topography of the land can sometimes be something that uh, guys will definitely consider because those speed wagons are just such a smaller, lighter piece of equipment and they're easier to get around in, in adverse conditions. If we are getting to that, uh, you know, you mentioned you mentioned feedlots several times, John, that that is an instance where the TMR is pretty much just a way of life, uh, just as it would be um, in any dairy operation. Uh, the, those those large feedlots, you, you just won't find them in today's world without a TMR of, of some sort. Again, there are several different uh, TMR mixing concepts, but but they will be present uh, in those feedlots. Uh, there, are, the other things to consider would be just the feedstuffs that that are uh, that are available. If we're just talking maybe uh, silage and, and hay, uh, TMR mixer just isn't necessarily needed in a circumstance like that. Uh, the, the feed wagons will do a decent job of, of blending uh, those feedstuffs together as long as they are layered layered or sandwiched like reggie mentioned and like always dollars and cents uh, are something that everybody's going to consider reggie can you talk through some of the advantages of using a mixer or a feed wagon beyond cost savings beyond things that uh, jordan just mentioned sure john the uh, one of the things that uh, jordan mentioned was uh, the addition of the option of a scale on a feed wagon uh, or on a feed mixer it's uh, really ridiculous to think about buying a feed mixer and for what that end result's intended to be without having a scale. And it also gets to be that way with the feed wagon too. And so by being able to control uh, the feeding, being able to, from working with your nutritionist, uh, perhaps in some cases with your uh, veterinarian, if there's something that has to be added, uh, for cattle, like uh, uh, some type of broad illness or sickness, where the the health can be certainly can be protected and can certainly be improved through a TMR type of mixing approach. What you're talking about there is a situation where maybe uh, a herd's deficient on a mineral, or uh, you want to increase your protein or or energy content of that feed stuff, right? Yes, yes, that's a real good example or just comment about the mineral and some of those uh some of the types of additives too uh john are pretty small like dosages or amounts uh, per head per day and that's where then the feed mixer really is required to do that and a feed mixer that uh, mixes well and that the operator is following the recommendations on how to operate that mixer with those kinds of how high-powered health ingredients or high-powered performance additives in there. So they're operating the mixer in the way that the manufacturer has uh, said it should be operated and to uh, and should be tested, sampled uh, periodically too. Um, all of this, I mean, just putting a feed mixer into the operation, it isn't magical necessarily by itself. Uh, isn't a magic pill without the management behind that and its usage management and, and using your consultants. How would you get started using a mixer or feed wagon? 
you're going to have to go out there now and uh, go to um, a trusted uh, dealer, in this case, a trusted Vermeer dealer that carries the new product lineup that they've acquired from us, uh, Schuler Manufacturing, which is now going to be the Vermeer feed mixers and the Vermeer feed wagons. The next thing they're going to be doing is uh, making contact with that uh, Vermeer dealer. It's helpful to have some information with you to be able to share with the dealer uh, on choosing a size of a feed wagon or size of a feed mixer, probably also even deciding, well, do I need a feed mixer or do I need a feed wagon is adequate at this stage or at this time in my operation. So information like the number of head, if you have a consultant or nutritionist that you're working with, they're going to perhaps have information on the amount of pounds of feed per head that they recommend being fed to these animals at, I mean, if we're feeding cows that are in a gestation period, if we're feeding lighter calves or calves, we're getting into backgrounding animals, getting ready to go into the feedlot stage, the final stage, you know, knowing what the number of head is, kind of what the nutritionist has recommended for pounds of feed per day, what your feedstuffs are that you have to work with, what the recommended formulation of the ration is from your feed salesman or your nutritionist. Then we have over the years, John, some kind of some rough guidelines that uh, Jordan and I know about that's also kind of known in the feed industry that when you have certain combinations of feedstuffs, they're going to weigh uh, in our approximate range so much per cubic foot. And so when we can come up with, we've got to feed this much cubic foot footage of feedstuffs every day, well, then we can size that to the right size capacity machine. And it does make a difference, obviously. Some producers would like to just feed one load a day where other producers are going to maybe feed twice a day or something. And that that makes a big impact on the size of the machine. So those are some things when you go in to buy, it's really helpful to the dealership, to the dealer and their salespeople. And they can call Jordan or their Vermeer territory manager and get some, uh, maybe some help a little bit on sizing also. But uh, that that's uh, immensely helpful when choosing a TMR or a feed wagon. I'm familiar with the Schuler red with yellow font mixers. Is that still a thing? Is this a Schuler feed mixer by Vermeer, or is this going to be yellow equipment now? Right now, it's still that familiar red that uh, you mentioned with the same yellow emblems. And uh, the side of the feed wagons, the side of the mixers say Schuler. Uh, like they always have. And just below that, it is a by Vermeer emblem. So we do have both names uh, represented today. That's going to change here in the the not too distant future uh, when we do have a total rebrand and it'll be yellow iron, yellow Vermeer product as everybody is familiar with. Uh, So that uh, that'll be exciting. Uh, We are working on a lot of a lot of details uh, just internally to make that happen right now, but uh, that is not uh, too far away from happening. Hopefully, we're talking um, weeks and and not months at this point. So it's in the it's in the near future. Cool. That's a fun little tidbit. 
that we can share. Jordan, can you take us through the different size and models that you have? Yeah, so to uh, to make this bring into transition, the product line will look really, really similar, not quite identical, but very similar to the past uh, Schuler mixer line that the makeup of the product, the quality of the product, the design of the product is going to be um, really I- identical from a performance standpoint. So there will be single screw mixers from about 350 cubic feet up to 600 cubic feet available. And then the twin screws will go from about 600 cubic feet up to about 1400 cubic feet. Then we do have one triple logger model that uh, comes close to about 1700 cubic feet. Uh, all in all, it's, it's a dozen mixer models. Uh, the feed wagons, there are two styles of feed wagons. There's a BF, which is a bunk feeder, and an HF, which is a hay feeder. And there are three different models within each of those product lineups. So six total feed wagon models. For a little bit of comparison, that three to 600 cubic foot, how many cows are we talking about feeding in a day? Let's talk uh, a backgrounding type operation. So looking at five to 800 pound calves, I'm guessing that's kind of the, one of the tricks here is uh, you don't get to feed as many uh, 1400 pound cows as you get to feed 500 pound calves. No, that that's fair, John. Um, the first question that I always ask, uh, rather than the exact size of the operation, is whether or not that user wants to have the ability to process hay or large round bales within the mixer. Uh, the vertical mixer TMR concept does have that ability to to process hay, break those bales down. They are by no means a bale processor. It is not their first is not the mixer's first intention that is not what it is initially designed to do it is initially designed to be a feed mixer but there is a requirement in in our world in the Schuler world that that reggie and and myself and a lot of the other people that were involved in designing Schuler mixers for years and years and years and to be able to do those large round bales you really have to have a minimum of 500 cubic feet and that 500 cubic foot single auger mixer as a general rule of thumb was normally our highest selling as far as just a number of units produced per year that was the highest volume unit that we would produce uh, pretty much on an annual basis for that reason and a user wanting to have the ability to process those large bales outside of that you know that smallest single screw mixer that 350 cubic foot mixer um in a in a cow calf or backgrounding type setting, that's going to be uh, under a hundred head uh, for sure. Maybe more like seventy five. Uh, that five hundred cubic foot uh, mixer could could probably get us up to a couple of hundred. It's going to be dependent upon how many loads a day a user is wanting to to feed. And six hundred can expand upon that a, a little bit, but. Um, I don't think most users are probably wanting to feed half a dozen loads a day. So if we get past, you know, several hundred head, we're getting into pretty large territory uh, when we're talking cows, calves, backgrounding. Uh, that gets to be a very large mixer uh, beyond probably what a single screw capacity is, is able to handle very efficiently. You surprised me a little bit. I hate 
maybe I knew that there were triple screw mixers. That's a large feedlot. That's a dairy. That's that's something fairly large, right? And feeding several loads a day. Yeah, that, that's correct, John. The, the the large vertical mixers like that, the, the really large twin augers, the triple auger mixers, more times than not, you're going to see those in a dairy setting. The triple augers specifically are probably about exclusively in the large dairies um, in the portions of the country where we, where we see those, those larger operations, uh, you know, you're in the Northwest part of the country. That, that's a perfect example of where some of those products are sold, um, in, in Idaho and in, in Washington state. So yeah, it, it's, it's really more geared towards the, the large dairies more so than, than the feedlots, frankly. Jordan, as we're considering these, uh, single screw and twin screw machines, which one processes faster? So from a, processing context uh i suppose that the twins may process a little bit quicker just because we have more knives roughly twice as many knives being we have two augers um and and just more access to that lower third lower half of the mixer uh but that's probably difficult to really measure very well it's we're not talking half the time you know if if that high quality uh, alfalfa bale takes eight minutes to process to the point of ready to feed in that single auger mixer, it might be six or six and a half minutes in that twin auger. It's not a it's not a substantial uh, large percentage uh, cut of time that can be made with the processing. When we talk mixing between a single auger machine and a twin auger machine, there may be stereotypes or certain thoughts that users have that haven't had a mixer or a vertical mixer before. They may think that a twin auger mix is faster, that uh, you know the, the two augers would bring that to that fully mixed TMR in a, in a faster, faster rate of time. That's not necessarily the case. If the design of the mixer, whether it be twin or single, is effective, they should mix adequately within, you know, the, the, really the same time frame window. It should be the same quality from first thing that comes off the conveyor to last thing that comes off the conveyor and everything in between. The, there really won't be a difference or shouldn't, shouldn't be a difference in the quality of mix between a single auger, a twin auger, a triple auger machine. That's a great answer. So the dairy that I grew up on, we would chop hay into the bottom of our feed wagon. Uh, Actually, we used a Vermeer round bale and roller into a chopper, and then the chopper blew it into the feed wagon. We always put the dry hay on the bottom because it gets cold here, and if you put the silage on the bottom, it freezes to the deck of the feed wagon, and that's a bad day. Uh, So hay on the bottom, uh, silage is the next layer, and then we would drizzle on molasses. Now remember, this this is going back to 1980s technology, but you would drizzle on some molasses or mineral or whatever else needed to be in that in that uh, ration. We get over into the vertical screw mixer. Now we're talking about truly mixing to prevent sorting. Sorting's an issue where maybe the, the cow wants to eat the nice, sweet uh, alfalfa haylage and likes that, that really sweet corn silage. But they might sort out some of the the fibrous uh, hay that they put in into the ration just because it doesn't taste quite as good, but it's still an important part of the ration. 
How am I doing on putting all of that together? Reggie, do you have a, a thought on what I just said there? would agree, John, with what you said. And I think sometimes I hear the word uh, palatability of the feed ration. Uh, that is certainly when you're talking about some of the, the feed ingredients does not uh, appeal to the taste buds of the animal. And so they want to sort that. They want to sort that out. So the mixer wagon then kind of defeats their ability to be able to do that. And so they get what that daily complete requirement is that the nutritionist has worked up in their feed formulation and they're able to keep the herd health good and uh, be efficient that way. So We're trying to reduce waste. We're trying to be efficient and manage our resources well. We're taking advantage of technology. We have innovations and changes to the marketplace. All of this stuff is very exciting to listen to. And I want to say a genuine thank you to both of you for joining me today. John, it's been my pleasure to be able to be uh, with you for sure. Yeah, certainly appreciate your time, John, and the opportunity to talk with you. It's been fun.